$5,000 or $10,000 might seem like a lot of money to you right now, but it will be a drop in the ocean in 20, 30, 40 years time. Welcome to another episode of Pocket Money, everyone. Today, Kate and I are going to be talking all about investing and the stock market crash of 2020. Yes, you've probably seen the stock market crashed in a matter of weeks after hitting an all-time high back in February 20. And it was our quickest transition to a bear market in history. Uh, we're talking a total roller coaster here, and we've never seen volatility in the markets like we have in the first half of 2020. I know, what a wild year. So to walk us through it, we've got Finders Investments Editor Kylie Purcell with us. Thanks for coming back on the show, Kylie. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's great to be here. So earlier in the year, we had you on the show and you took us through some of the basics of investing, which was a great episode. Definitely check it out. But we did mention in that one that the world has changed a whole lot since we recorded that interview. So our first question is why? What's happened, Kylie? Basically, when the market crashed in February 20, as you said, it, it had reached an all-time high. What happened after that was we'd had COVID come in at the end of last year. It hadn't really impacted the stock markets yet, but investors were certainly nervous. Then the oil price war broke out between Saudi Arabia and Russia, and that's when we started to see prices really start dropping. So COVID was not great for the stock market, certainly, but it was kind of the tip of the iceberg, really. Economies were already really weak. Our interest rates were at record lows. In Australia, we just had the bushfires, which wasn't great. We'd had a retail recession. COVID-19 was kind of just the last straw. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big straw. Um, <laughs> it sent our markets crashing. Um, yeah, so all of that kind of compounded. Kylie, it's, I mean, it's been an absolutely crazy time and it continues to be so, but I know there's been a lot of interest from people wanting to invest you know, for the first time or get back into the market. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, there's been so much interest in the stock market this year. We've seen, I think it was around, it was over 4,000 new investors signing up to share trading accounts between February and April, according to ASIC. And that was around 140,000 new investors. And these are people that have never opened accounts before. So they're totally new and they've decided now is the best time to start investing, which might sound kind of irrational. But it's actually really smart thinking because, you know, people know that a stock market crash is a really good time to buy companies at lower prices. It's like a property price crash. You know, when the property markets crash, you get people jumping in and um, getting onto the property ladder. People are taking the opportunity to get onto the uh, stock ladder, if you will. The volatility is a risky thing, definitely. But it's also a really good opportunity. The big problem is, of course, is understanding where the opportunities are and what companies are good quality. Because it's all well and good to say invest in good quality companies at discount prices. But how do you know if a company is actually discounted or if it's about to kind of head to zero, as we saw potentially with Virgin in the last few weeks? So with so much changing in the market, but then also this wave of new investors jumping in, I understand that you did a little bit of extra research for us, Kylie. 
Yeah, I spoke to Roger Montgomery. He's a really well-respected fund manager and he runs Montgomery Investment Management. So I thought it'd be a great idea to get his opinion on where the stock market is going, why it's been behaving the way it has. We've actually started to see, even though we saw a crash in recent weeks, we've started to see quite a big recovery, amazing recovery, actually. We saw an unprecedented drop and now we're seeing an unprecedented kind of recovery happening. So whether that's rational thinking or whether we might be in for another big crash, in the next few weeks. Um, So I wanted to chat to him about that and also get a few tips on what new investors should be doing if they're looking to start investing now and what kind of companies they should also be looking out for. Also, I guess for new investors or people new to just even looking at investing, it's it's all kinds of jargon, isn't there, Kylie, that investors use? And I know um, in your interview with Roger, some of those were mentioned. We'll have a full list of them in the show notes, but do you want to run through just a couple that might make people go, what? Yeah, there's a couple of technical terms in there. The first one would be the P&E ratio that he's talking about. That's uh, price to earnings ratio. He's really referring to whether or not a stock is cheap or expensive. So when he says a, a P&E ratio is really high, he means that stocks were probably a bit expensive. And if you'd invested when a P&E ratio was high, that means maybe you bought a stock for a price above what it's worth. And if a P&E ratio is low, often that means they're undervalued. That's a really, really loose kind of explanation, but that will kind of give you a better idea of what he's talking about there at the start. Cool, I can't wait to hear it. Let's roll on with the interview. Hi, Roger. Thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you, Carly. Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that the uh, last few months have been a pretty wild ride for the stock markets. How would you describe what we've seen in 2020? Well, it's pretty obvious that markets were expensive before COVID-19 hit. So we had record high price to earnings ratios on the S&P 500, Uh, We also had record high price-to-earnings ratios for the ASX 300. And that was despite the fact that earnings estimates for next year were actually, or for the year ahead, were actually declining. People were ultimately willing to pay a lot more for less. So they were getting less earnings, but they want to pay more for it. Now, that's an unsustainable scenario. And then, of course, we had a retail recession in Australia, We also had a 40% decline in new residential housing approvals, which is obviously a leading indicator for housing construction. The construction industry is the third largest employer in the country. Residential construction is about a third of that. And so if you have a retail recession, retail is the second largest employer in the country, and you have a residential construction recession, then you're going to have a recession in Australia. And so you had rising prices in an environment where the economy was slowing down. And then, of course, in Australia, we had the bushfires as well. That uh, was an enormous hit to economic activity on the east coast of Australia. And then we had COVID-19. So that was the icing on the cake. That uh, really put markets into a steep spiral. But now we're sort of seeing it rebound. Do you think that's rational? It sounds like this was the correction we needed to have. Now we're seeing it reverse. What are your thoughts around that? So the expectation clearly is for a V-shaped economic recovery, and that is irrational. Now, what the market is doing is focusing on government fiscal support, and it's focusing on uh, central bank uh, liquidity support, which has been in place since the GFC. The problem that you've got is that 
when the Fed announces that it's going to buy leveraged loans. Leveraged loans are the are loans that are handed out or extended to companies that are so poor in terms of their financial condition that they're very unlikely or they're the least likely to pay you back. Those leveraged loans have been bundled up into what are called CLOs, which are collateralized loan obligations, the same as CDOs that we had with subprime mortgages in the GFC. So the US has learnt nothing. They packaged up these loans. The loan market boom, the index, the S&P index for these loans went to a record high from 2013 up until January this year. And then on March 23rd, it collapsed. That whole market collapsed because CLOs own about 60% of those really um, poor quality leveraged loans. Then what happened is the Fed saw that collapse on March the 23rd and it said, right, we're going to step in. We're going to rescue the market. We're going to buy these securities. That's what equity markets are really excited about, that the Fed has got your back. The Fed will support markets even if there's no fundamental basis for the price that they're paying, they'll buy them anyway. Uh, and so the problem with that thinking or the problem with that enthusiasm and optimism is that when the Fed is buying those CLOs, it's buying those corporate loans, it keeps the interest rate on the loans cheap. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't give those businesses any revenue. Their loans are cheap and those loans remain cheap but if the economy slowed down because unemployment is now at a record level uh, in the US and in Australia, um, if we've got those record high levels of unemployment, then you haven't got customers or you haven't got as many customers. So your revenue is going to be hit. And that Fed activity, that central bank support keeps interest rates low, but it doesn't give you revenue. And that's the disconnect. So in fact, if you, if you boil it all down to a really simple difference, the stock market's definition of recovery is different to what yours and my definition of recovery is. The stock market defines recovery as anything better than the bottom, right? It's like just as long as you're getting out of bed, you're not lying down, right? That's a recovery. But are you as fit as you once were? Can you bench press as, as hard a weight as you could before? No. And so our definition of recovery is back to what we were at. And we're a long way off that. The stock market's definition of recovery is just it's better than it was at the bottom. Yeah. Mm. So it sounds like this kind of relief rally we're seeing at the moment might be a temporary thing. Do you think this is a kind of a case of like a dead cat bounce situation that we saw in the GFC? It's very possible. Um, and all that, uh, all that comes down to one thing and one thing only. The market is now set, because it's so expensive, the market has now set a very high bar for company earnings. So the expectation is that companies' earnings will be very strong. If companies disappoint on that front, uh, then the market will come back. And the answer to your question will be yes. But it ultimately depends on whether or not companies are able to deliver on market expectations for earnings. You know, we've got unemployment at the moment at about 6.2%. I'm just going to talk about Australia for a minute. So we've got unemployment at about 6.2%. But that recent April unemployment figure includes everyone on JobKeeper. And they're not being counted as unemployed. They're being counted as having had a job in April, even though they might not have worked a single hour. And consequently, a bunch of those people won't come back to their jobs. 
when JobKeeper stops, uh, when rent relief stops, when the anti-eviction rulings stop, uh, when uh, mortgage holidays cease, when all of that stuff stops, there's going to be a lot of people who think they're going to go back to their job and that job won't be there. And that's because you've got companies like Flight Center that had 1,600 stores. They're only going to have 800 stores. They're closing 800 stores. That means there's less jobs out there in retail for people to come back to. With all this in mind, we've seen a lot of new investors come into the market. Um, yes, we record have. numbers of, of new investors opening up accounts to start trading stocks. Do you think now is the time to be investing? And what would you suggest to these new newbies out there? Well, if they're young, they've got a very long time horizon. Um, you know, today or yesterday was the best time to get in. You know, the earlier you get in, the better. Um, and if you're young and you're smart, then your earnings curve is going to get very steep. You're going to do very well over your life. You're going to earn more money as you get older and become more successful. And so you don't need to worry about the small amounts that you're investing today. You don't need to worry that the stock market's going to fall. $5,000 or $10,000 might seem like a lot of money to you right now, but it will be a drop in the ocean in 20, 30, 40 years time. You know, it won't be much money at all. And so if it halves today, so what? Just buy more, provided you're investing in quality. So my advice is this, start early, start as early as possible, start yesterday. But time is the friend of a wonderful business. Time is the enemy of a poor business. So it's really important that you're able to distinguish between a high quality company and a poor quality company. That's some really great advice there. Thank you. Is there anything you'd suggest um, new investors should be wary of right now? Yeah, I think, look, I hope you don't mind me giving a plug. I wrote a book on investing 10 years ago, and in that book, I define a high-quality business. So that would really help people. It's at rogermontgomery.com. The book is called Valueable, value.able. Uh, if they Google Valueable or Roger Montgomery, they'll find the book. So the first thing is, Focus on quality and avoid poor quality businesses. And in the book, I talk about what the difference is. But the other thing, economically, the other thing I think people should be wary of is the period between September and November. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because that's when all of that assistance uh, is potentially going to end. Now, it might not end. It might be that the government extends those support programs. And I think they'll have to. But if there's any fear that some of those support programs are going to cease, that could result in a lot more volatility in markets. And volatility is something to be excited about. You know, volatility is something to look forward to because you, know, you really should be buying stocks the way you buy blueberries. I don't know if you like blueberries, Kylie, I do. When they're $9 a punnet, I don't buy any, right? But when they're $4 a punnet or $4.50 a punnet or $3 a punnet, I load up and we freeze them. And you know, that's the way you should be thinking about buying stocks like you buy groceries. When it's cheap, buy a lot more. When it's expensive, don't buy any. And so volatility, that the prospect of volatility later in the year is something we should be looking forward to. And particularly young people who are net buyers, if they're a net buyer of stocks over the next 20 or 30 years, then you should be looking forward to cheaper prices. I was hoping to do just a little um, a section here called overrated, underrated. Sure. Sounds like fun. <laughs> I'd like you to say whether or not this product or asset is overrated or underrated uh, and why. 
So micro-investment apps. I think some are good, some are overrated, and some are underrated. Let me say this. The micro-investing apps like, I'm trying to think of the one that was developed by George Lucas. Is it Acorn? Raise in Australia, Acorn in the US. Yeah, yeah Raise. I think it's brilliant. Underrated. Uh, the others, not so sure about. <laughs> okay. Property investing in Australia. Underrated. Uh, I think you should be doing more of it. Uh, and particularly, but you need to be really clever about it the way you're clever about stocks. You need to think, find things that are unique. You don't want to buy something that's generic. It needs to have all the right characteristics. Uh, you want to buy ideally in a gentrified area. There's actually websites that help you identify gentrification in Sydney. There's statistics that you can look at for that. Uh, and then, you know what? The great thing is interest rates are so low if you've got a secure job and you can afford the mortgage, then my suggestion is to get in early. Migration will come back. Low levels of migration today and next year will have an effect on property, a dampening effect. So you've got some time to find the right property and get in. The earlier you get in, the earlier you've got a roof over your head, the happier your life will be. Perfect. US stocks. Uh, they're more expensive than in Australia at the moment. However, having said that, there are some brilliant companies that just aren't available in Australia. Companies with technology and growth runways that we just don't get in Australia. And for that reason, I think you should be investing in overseas stocks. So does that, that makes them underrated, but they're expensive at the moment. So that kind of makes them overrated too. <laughs> Fair enough. The final one is ETFs. Uh, exchange traded funds. Well, there's potentially some dangers in some of them. It's really important if you're investing in an ETF, if you know nothing about investing, then exchange traded funds are the way to go. You know, if you don't know how to identify a high quality business, you don't know how to identify when something's cheap, then really you should be letting investment decisions be made by somebody else. So ETFs are probably the cheapest way of doing that. That's great. But some of them are dangerous. Uh, some of them are very heavily weighted in a very narrow group of companies or assets. The problem with that is if anyone, if everyone decides to get out of that ETF at once, then the ETF manager will not be able to exit the underlying asset quickly enough to give everyone their money back. And so some of these things can blow up or close or freeze, and you may not get your money for quite some time. All right, that's awesome. That finishes off the questions from me. Fantastic, Carly. Great to spend some time with you. Thanks so much for joining us today, Roger. Pleasure, Carly. Wow, that was quite an interview. I feel like, uh, you know, we've been riding a roller coaster and a few more twists and turns are yet to come. So massive thanks to you, Kylie, for always making investing easy to understand and super interesting. Big thanks to Roger for giving his time to us. If you missed it, don't forget to go back and check out part one on investing basics because Kylie gave a lot of really great tips for new investors in and out of the stock market crash in that one as well. Thanks, guys. And for those of you who already have investments, you can now link your investment accounts to the Finder app and watch your money grow. The Finder app's great. It keeps everything from your savings, loans, credit cards. You can track all of your money in one place. So be sure to download it. It's free. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of Pocket Money. Feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell a friend about the show. You can always join us on Instagram at Pocket Money Podcast for money tips, behind the scenes, and also to let us know if there's anything that you'd like us to cover on the show in the future. 
Pocket Money is hosted by Sally and Kate. That's us. It's produced by Ankita Shetty and editing is from the wonderful Brianna Ansaldo of Bambi Media. Thanks again to our guest Kylie Purcell and Roger Montgomery. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening.